welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Well, as says mentioned, we are in the midst of a series. We started it two weeks ago. Last week, we, we did something a little bit different because we had the, uh, the great privilege of uh, having Mother's Day here. We had some baby dedications. We had Paula speaking. And then in the evening, we had um, a baptism service, which was amazing. And I think over the course of the day, we, had, we probably had over 200 first-time guests here or, or people that are not generally connected to this church. That was a really great privilege and, and a great reason to break into our, ser- our, our series, I guess, just to be able to make sure we sort of were able to touch those that were here for the first time and know nothing about church. But the majority of us here today are part of this church and would have been here for the first part of our series a couple of weeks ago, which is called Rebels, Riots and Revolutionaries, as says has mentioned. The first part of that, Tone had a look at um, some of the things that Jesus said just before he ascended into heaven. And we can assume that the things that Jesus said just before he ascended into heaven are pretty important. You don't just waste the words that you've got left. Last words on the planet, you don't want to waste those words. And so Jesus said a few key things. He spoke about keeping the main thing, the main thing. He spoke about the fact that he would return, and he spoke about the fact that we need to wait before we begin to work. And then on Sunday night, we continued and we had a look at what Jesus was talking about waiting for. And the fact that we were as a church, the church was to wait until they had been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Because as a church and as individual Christians, our good intentions are not enough. We cannot do this walk that God is calling us to walk on our own strength. But we need God's empowering. We are not good enough. We are not kind enough. We are not patient enough. We are not loving enough, etc., 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 to do this thing on our own. We need God's empowerment in all of those areas. And so we looked at this, this wonderful gift, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We prayed for some people. Some people received that, the, the, gift of the, the evidence of that gift straight away. Others, I trust, are, are still praying and asking God to fill them with his presence. And just want you to just continue in that. Continue to wait on God and to call on God that he would empower you for this Christian life. Okay, when it happens, you'll know it's happened. Okay? This morning, we want to continue this series. And I've called this particular part, part three, Rebels with the Cause. And I want to start by reading Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through to verse 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is the they, is those people that um, were the early church and those that were converted on the first day of... of um, uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, some 3,000 people were added to the church that day. And it goes on and just gives a little bit of a cameo of what was the church life was like at that particular point in time. So it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in in their homes with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Just want to pray before I go any further. Father, I just ask that you would bless your word to us this morning. I pray that you would help me to articulate clearly your word. I pray that you would anoint me for this task, and I pray that you give every one of us ears to hear and to take on board what you're saying to us as individuals. This is not a history lesson, Lord. This is, this is life to our very being, Lord, and it's part of what you're calling us to. And so, God, highlight to us areas that we need to change, I pray, this morning. 
in Jesus' name. One of the things that's quite interesting this morning for me as I have been reflecting obviously what I wanted to share on, and I'm talking about rebels with a cause, and I'll look at that in just a moment, but it's quite interesting. In the prayer meeting before the service, we meet at 9 o'clock with our volunteers and those that are here a little bit earlier, and we pray for the service. And one of the things that Josh prayed or spoke about in his prayer, the fact that God is unlike us. His ways are not our ways. He is counter-culture. He's counter to the way of this world. And then we, uh, we, we've got a youth uh, camp coming up, which is called counterculture, and I think Paul even used those words counterculture um, in, in terms of his testimony up there this week. And so there's a real theme coming through here. And I think, you know, we are called to be counterculture, we are called to be rebels, but rebels with a cause, not rebels without a cause. A rebel is simply one who resists or defies an authority or a generally accepted convention of behavior. When Peter spoke on that day of Pentecost to a massive crowd of people and, he called, and, they, and they were convicted as he spoke about who Jesus was and what he'd come to accomplish, they were convicted and they said, what must we do to be saved? And Peter's words to them were repent and be baptized. Now this concept of repentance, it's, it's a 180 degree turn. It's a turnaround. I was heading in this direction, I repent, I turn around, I head in the other direction. And so it's a, it's a choice that we make to change direction. Now the reality is, the whole of humanity, outside of a relationship with God, is heading away from God. Those who are not saved, those who do not have, a, have not made an intentional turn towards God, by default are heading away from God. That's, you know, the Bible talks about the fall of Adam and Eve and the fact that Adam took us all with him. And so every one of us, by default, is in the devil's camp, with the enemy's camp. Hell is a destination for those who do not know God. It's, it's, not, it's simply a matter of you go with who you follow. So if you want to go to heaven, we follow God. If you don't want to go to heaven, you follow the devil. And by default, you end up in the place that God's made for him. And so we're all rebels at that level. But we see Peter saying, repent against this rebellion. In other words, rebel against your rebellion. Be rebels against rebellion. That's what he's saying. He's saying the whole world is doing something that is anti-God. And, and as Josh even pointed out in his prayer, you know, if God says yes, we say no. It's like if God says black, we say white. It's just something in us. We are unable to do the good things we want to do. We often know what God wants, but we don't want to do what God wants. We are anti-God. We are rebels without a cause. But Peter is calling all, and indeed the call comes to us today, to be rebels with a cause, to rebel against the rebellion that is seen in this world. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. The pattern of this world is rebellion against God. But be transformed with the renewing of your mind. And so today I want to have a look at three countercultural behaviors of the early church that I believe we need to adopt if we are to truly represent God well. On this planet. And the first one, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it simply starts with, they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. One of the patterns of this world that we are called to stand against and rebel against is that of spiritual apathy or indifference. The pattern of this world, by and large, is apathetic to the things of God. 
And that's prevalent, unfortunately, not just outside the church, but also in the church. Much of those who are perceived to be the church are apathetic. They're spiritually indifferent to the things of God. That is a far cry from what we see in this passage I've just read to you. Many have just enough religion in their lives to be immunized against a virulent strain of Christianity that will change the world. Many have just enough of church to keep themselves bored. Many have just enough of church to decide they don't want to go there. Many have just enough church to keep their family happy or to maintain a family tradition or whatever it might be. Just enough church to keep a relationship with their friends. That's not what we're talking about here. Some settle for predictability and and the low expectations of just pew-warming religion that doesn't touch the heart or inspire the soul. Others comfort themselves. Perhaps they don't go to church, but they, they perceive themselves to be spiritually aware and they think, well, I'm a good enough person that if God is real and heaven is real, surely I'll go there. And others, perhaps a little bit more honest, just try to ignore spirituality altogether And they bury themselves in family, in study, in work, in sport, in hobbies, in all sorts of stuff. And so the general pattern of this world is spiritual apathy or indifference. But these believers devoted themselves. What's devotion? Well, devotion, as I've kind of already said, it's rebellion, first and foremost, against spiritual apathy. It's a wholehearted, passionate commitment to someone or something. People can be devoted about a whole bunch of things. I mean, you would know people who straight away, you think, man, they are devoted to their family or they're devoted to their footy team or they're devoted to this or devoted to that. I mean, when a mum is devoted to a child, it's obvious, it's seen, it oozes out of her. Everything she does, her schedule says, I'm devoted to my kids. What she does and when she does it says, I'm devoted to my kids. What they speak about and how they say it says, I'm devoted to my kids. I'm living passionately for the sake of my children. Yep. So we know what devotion looks like. I've got um, daughters, some of them, uh, who, who are actually like One Direction. And there's a little bit of devotion happening there. It's, it's kind of like they blew our internet usage out of the water last month because they're looking for photos. They're looking for articles. I mean, they probably know more about Louis than Louis knows about himself. You know, they probably, you know, what's his favorite food? What's his favorite pet? I don't know, all the stuff that people, you know, when they're devoted, they just want to know everything about everything about the thing that they're devoted. Whether it's a person, whether it's a group, whether it's a sport, whether it's a hobby, whatever it might be, people just devote themselves to stuff and it's seen in what they do. They don't need to tell you I'm devoted to this thing. It's just like you talk to them for a little while or you see what they do or you, you kind of realise what they're not available for and you ask them what they do. It's very obvious. Very obvious straight away what people are devoted to, for, to. And that's the sort of devotion that we see in this early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. It talks about the fact they were starting to sell stuff. They were meeting every day. I mean, this wasn't a casual acquaintance with God. This wasn't a a mere pew-warming experience. This was, I am sold out for this thing. It's seen in their schedules. It's seen in priorities. It's seen 
in the type of input that we allow into our lives and the type of things that we keep out of our lives. It's seen in the company we keep. It's seen in the way that we speak. Those who knew those first disciples, they didn't need to ask what they were about. They could see it. It was evidence. It oozed out of them. They were committed to doing the things necessary for spiritual life and growth and development. They were totally rebelling against spiritual apathy and indifference. And those around about them knew all about it. That's devotion. It's not, I get up in the morning and I have my devotion. And I quickly rip through one or two verses or a chapter or two or whatever. And I say a quick, our Father in heaven. And then I shoot off to work for five days of the week. And then Saturday I do my sport. And then Sunday I get along to church. That's not devoted to Christ. Devoted is where what oozes out of us suggests that Christ is our priority. That Jesus is the person that we are living for. That everything else in our life fits around him, not trying to squeeze him into the little bits that are left over afterwards. That's devotion. There's not one thing that is worthy of pursuit like Jesus. There are a whole bunch of things in this life that are going to demand our, demand our attention all the time. There are things here, things there. You know, the TV is screaming at us, radio is screaming at us, the internet is screaming at us, everything's screaming at us and demanding for our attention. Our kids are demanding our attention. Our family's demanding our attention. Our friends, our sporting teammates, our workmates, our boss, everyone is screaming for our attention. But not many things are worthy of our intention. Some of those things are, are not bad in and of themselves, but they're never worthy in the same way that God is worthy. None of these things will save us. Being a parent, being at your, you know, being demanded by, that's fair, that's a good thing. It's good to be there for your kids. But that should never take priority over, over a devotion to God. We should be responsible and good workers for our boss, but not at the expense of a relationship with God. Devotion is an all in deal, it's being passionate, zealous for the things of God. And we see that demonstrated in what these guys did in this passage I just read. Devotion is not having a casual interest in Christianity. Devotion is not just wanting an eternal insurance policy. Devotion is not looking to increase your business network. Devotion is not even coming in the hope that you will find your life partner to church. There's so many reasons why we can come to church. And I don't think any one of those is a problem initially. Because God will use all manner of means to get us over the line and into his kingdom. It's a problem if it remains that way. The deal is that we come into the, into the presence of God as part of the crowd. We're clueless. We don't really know what's going on. But as we listen and as we hear, there should be something that will be capturing us in the innermost being that, that convinces us that this is true. And Jesus is worthy of following. He's worthy of my all. So over time, we sometimes, you know, God has to pry our fingers off of things. But over time, our lives are more and more and more opened up to him. And our level of devotion to him grows. Sound like a fair thing? So my question is, what is your current level of commitment to Jesus? And what's the basis of your commitment?
Because you can be very committed, but your basis of your commitment might not be love for God. It might be trying to impress that person. It might be trying to increase your business network, as I've said. But our basis, the basis of all that we're called to do is to be a relationship with Jesus, a desire to serve him because we love him. So what's our devotion like? That's my first point this morning. Being rebels against spiritual apathy. The second thing that we see, or the second thing I want to highlight, there's a lot to highlight. I'm just going to choose three, as I've said. But the second thing that really stands out to me is that they devoted them, one of the things they devoted themselves to was the fellowship. I'm going to highlight a few things that speak of the fellowship. It says, all the believers were together and they had everything in common. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. Now, before you shut me down and say, oh, the church isn't even open every day. We can't come every day. <laughs> it's about the heart. It's about the desire. It's about the passion. And so we see that this fellowship here is a rebellion against independence. It's a rebellion against shallow relationships. Because being a follower of Jesus is a call to connection, meaningful connection with other believers. People ask that silly question, can I be a Christian and still not, and, and not go to church? It's a, it's a ridiculous question. It is never God's intention that we be a Christian and not go to church. There is no picture of the church in the Bible that suggests we're like a bag of marbles just dropped on the ground and spread out and do our own thing. It talks about body. It talks about a flock of sheep. It talks about a building. It talks about an army. All of these things involve connection and intimacy together, working together. Because just connection with purpose, I mean, I see road crews on the work working. They're connected with purpose. But I don't think there's a lot of intimacy there. For the most part, they're just doing their thing. <laughs> Connection with purpose is not what we're here for. We're not here to have fates or put on kid-go programs or have cafes and just be driven to do something in Jesus' name. Because the reality is if you do something without a sense of intimacy and commitment one to another, it will soon fall in a hole. Because the relational cracks will soon begin to appear and we will wander off into the darkness on our own. I think it was Schopenhauer, a philosopher, he used the example of, he says, we're all like porcupines in the midst of a cold winter. We find ourselves in the same burrow together and we press together for warmth. And the more that we do, the more we prick each other and get... And he says, so in our, in our discomfort, we wander off into the winter and die of loneliness. And I just think that is so much a picture of church life. Guaranteed, come to this church, come to any church, you're going to get hurt. Because we are called to press close together. We're called to do this life together. The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens. It says the sparks will fly. There's going to be a rubbing up against one another that is not always pleasant. But it's for our good. This is, the Greek word for this is koinonia, or koinonia, however you want to say it. But it's not the shallowness of disinterested parties rocking up on a Sunday and looking at the back of someone's head for a little while. And it's not just being organised, busily doing church activities. We're called together, yes. But the union that we're called to is not merely functional, it's essential to our being. 
God said in the very beginning, it is not good that man be alone. We are called to connectedness. And the devil, his plan is always to divide. His, always, his plan is always to bring disunity and to destroy harmony and to rip people apart where there's a sense of closeness. And we can just blindly follow along in that or we can recognize that that's, that's not what God wants. God's calling me to be countercultural. It's easy to get offended. It's easy to do my own thing. It's easy to be independent. It's easy not to commit. It's easy not to volunteer. It's easy not to, not to, not to, not to, not to, not to. It's much harder to go against that spirit of independence and to commit myself. Like I said, the pictures of the church involve connection. An army, a building, a body. There's connection with purpose. It doesn't ha- we don't do Christianity on our own. Every one of us is called to do something great. But what God has for us in able to achieve that greatness is in the church. You are not yet the person that God wants you to be. And you're going to become that person through rubbing shoulders with the people in the church. Some of it is going to be amazing. Some of it is going to be such the biggest blessing to you as people encourage you and speak kindly about you and maybe meet some of your physical needs and with practical good deeds of giving and providing meals or whatever it might be. There's going to be a whole bunch of really awesome stuff that happens. But sometimes things get a little bit prickly because people care about you as a parent. People care about you as a, as a married person. Because we don't just want people, let's just say, for example, serving wonderfully here at Kidgo while their marriages fall in a heap because of all the time they're here at church or because of all the other stuff that's going in their life and no one is committed enough to the fellowship to be able to step in and say, hey, you need to make some adjustments, otherwise you're going to lose your marriage, guy or girl. So it gets a little bit prickly, it can get a little bit awkward, but that's what we're here for. We're here to help grow one another, we're here to encourage one another on, and the Bible says, and all the more as the day approaches. So we are 2,000 years closer to the day when Jesus returns. It says to spur each other on and encourage one another on to good deeds. And so that's what we're called to do. The things conveyed are things like community, joint participation, sharing, and intimacy. These are all things conveyed in this, in this word, koinonia. The church is to be a place where there's acceptance, reliance, dependability, openness, honesty, accountability, submission, Sacrifice. These are all good and godly things, but they're counterculture to the world. If we're in rebellion to God, we're not going to like those things. But when we submit ourselves to God, we need to begin to embrace those things and practice those things and appreciate those things, not resent them, not do them begrudgingly, not think everyone's trying to ruin my life, but understand that God's plan and purpose is to grow us. We're all like stunted little flowers that need to open up and, and show the fullness of the beauty that God has created in each one of us. And it happens in and through the church. It's the only way it happens. It doesn't happen anywhere else. It doesn't matter how committed to you your aerobics instructor is or your personal trainer or your mates at the pub or your team building exercise at work or whatever. It doesn't matter how close you get. It will never, ever, 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 ever be a substitute for the church. Those things provide a measure of what we find in the church sometimes. You know when guys go to the pub 
And they, they lean on the bar and they say, oh, mate, my wife. <laughs> and they just confide. Usually after a few beers, because they've got to get the courage up to talk about some of those deeper inner emotional sort of things. But what is it about that? It's about connection. It's about acceptance. It's about openness. And it's about honesty. It's just a tragedy that people only feel they have that that right or that permission when they're half tanked. When in the church, it's available, free of charge, without judgment, and with good advice as to how to get beyond some of the stuff that we might want to drown our sorrows about. There's no substitute for the local church. There's no greater healing community. There's no greater environment to bring up your kids. I am so thankful for what I have received in this church since I've had children. We have had an amazing group of babysitters. Right now we're at the stage where Sam, my son's nearly 11, and he's into skateboarding, and I thank God for these big brothers over here that are taking him under their wing and are, and are teaching him some of the stuff, but they're not the good stuff. And they're helping him, and they're, and they're giving him something to aspire to. And it's been the same for my girls. There's big sisters and, and people are looking over their shoulders and, and even down the front, you know, as often poor old Simon Morton's got one of my kids on his shoulders and he's in worship because you just won't leave him alone. But I just thank God for the extended family that is the church. We can have as much or as little as we like. We can stand on the outside and say, oh, what you're talking, I've never seen that happen. Or we can get involved and suddenly you'll find it's just there for you. Because by and large, this church is a pretty good bunch of people that are seeking to be the hands, the feet, the voice of Jesus. And yeah, we have our bad days. And yeah, we sometimes say stuff we don't mean or, we, or, we, or just our own humanity lets us down. But by and large, we're trying to propel each other forward. And so let's be a part of the church. Let's not resent fellowship. Let's be a part of fellowship. And let's add to the momentum of this place. Let's not just sit there and say, I dare you to try and get me involved here. I dare you to try and make me worship. I dare you to try and get me to be a volunteer. That's not what it's about. I was pushing my kids on the swing the other day. And it's, and it's good when everything's kind of working together. But I've got a bit of an unco on one of them. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, you know, the whole, you, you, you push and they're supposed to put their legs out and it kind of builds momentum and, and then they bring their legs in and it's just kind of, it's sweet when you get that little motion happening. But when you're trying to push and they bring their legs back, you just have to stop again. Then you've got to push again. It's like, and that's what it's like in church sometimes. God's desire is we all come together. We all bring our gifts. We all bring our personalities. We, and we begin to move together. Sometimes it's a bit clumsy. It can be a bit awkward, but the idea is that we're all moving in the same direction together. That's God's plan for us. So let's not fight it. You know, just as an aside, the greatest disciplinary measure we find in the New Testament is to be removed from the church. That's the greatest disciplinary measure in the church. Is Paul says, look, this guy is not listening. The next step is to put him out in the hope that he'll come to his senses. But in another place, Paul says, I'm gonna, I've handed such and such a person over to the devil to be taught not to blaspheme. In other words, outside the church is a far worse place to be than inside the church. I mean, I thank God for people that have left and come back that will testify to that. The church is a blessing. The church is a privilege. 
The church is awesome. Why would we resent it? Why would we want to deliberately put ourselves in the place that is reserved for the worst people that just are bucking against the, the goads in the church, so to speak? And yet so many Christians voluntarily put themselves in that place. Let's not fight it. There's no place, better place to get support for your marriage. There's no better place to fulfill your God-given purpose. God is calling us all to so much. And I thank God for some of what I guess will be credited to my account one day in heaven through this church. Probably would have achieved none of it on my own. But I have a, an inheritance in part of it because of the partnerships I have with people like Tone, my brother, uh, Kath, and, and all those that have been gradually added to this church over time. We have a communal reward as we do things together. Who of us on our own would have put together something like Kidgo? Who would Kidgo have ever happened if it was up to any one of us as an individual? No. Would we ever be able to do something like the bloke? Would we ever be able to have an environment like this which just, you know, there's generally a pretty negative perception of church out there, outside of the church. People think the church, they think... A whole bunch of stuff that's, the church is irrelevant, it's boring, it's, you know, we had a men's breakfast the other day and one of the guys said, oh, I didn't expect to see 20 people here and yet we had probably closer to 150. You know, people have negative images of the church. But because of our togetherness and because of our combined sacrifices and generosity, so we can do something that just, just messes with their head. And they might not come in and say, oh, Jesus is, you know, God is real, Jesus is my saviour, what must I do to be saved? But it starts a process because of our togetherness and what we're able to achieve. So never underestimate the church. Never bag the church. Never look down or speak against the church. It's part of God's plan. It should hold a special place in our hearts. Hebrews chapter 10, 25 says, Do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but consider how you may encourage one another. So my question at the end of that section is, what's your level of connection? Are you on the fringe? If you are, I suggest you make a a move towards the core of this church. The core of this church are those that say, this is my home. They don't talk to me about your church, they talk to me about our church. They have a level of involvement, and that level of involvement will will vary depending on people's commitment levels, depending on their ability levels, and all that sort of stuff. But it's just a level of ownership and involvement that God's calling us to. And the third thing, just quickly, is generosity. We've heard a lot about generosity. For those of us at Real Men, uh, last week we, we heard um, uh, Steve Hilda talk about generosity. We heard Paulus last week speak about generosity. And I don't need to probably say too much more about it this morning other than that fellowship is not fellowship for its own sake. As I've mentioned, it is fellowship with purpose. All the believers came together, had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Generosity is rebellion against selfish living. The pattern of this world is selfishness. The pattern of this world is I am the most important person in this world and if I've got anything left after I've met my needs, after I've made myself comfortable, after I've done everything I want to do and if I've got anything left, well then maybe there'll be some for my wife (laughs) or my kids or maybe some friends or whatever else. But essentially our, our nature is to be selfish. It's to look after number one. And even where there's a measure of perceived generosity in life, often it's because we're working on the principle of I give something, I'll get something back, and hopefully be a little bit more. 
Becoming a follower of Jesus is about a commitment to generous, selfless living. We're called to live beyond ourselves. We're called to silence that ever-increasing voice of our own cravings. I mean, I don't know about you, but it must be so much harder in some ways to live today than ever before. I mean, just as a guy walking into a hardware store. I mean, seriously. There are just so many things saying, you need me. You've got to have me. You can't do without me. And I'm going, yeah, I hear you, I hear you. What do I do? I've only got so much money. I mean, and, and, the, and the sad thing is that sometimes you succumb and you buy that awesome tool that's everything you're ever going to need and want, and it's awesome for six months. And then there's something better, and it does a few extra things. And so we just, there's a, there's the, the voice of our cravings, the voice of the, the saying, you need this, you need that, you're nothing if you don't have one of them. You've got to have iPods, iPads, it's, it's just always going forward. Whatever you have today is obsolete tomorrow or very shortly thereafter. And if we're not careful, we just get caught up in this accumulation mode. I've got to have this and I've got to have that. But the pattern of this world says, I'm not here to, to listen to and fulfill every one of my cravings, but I'm here to hear the voice of others that are suffering in pain, are clueless, etc., etc., and I'm to give my life in order that they may benefit. It's a call to recognize that we are just travelers on this earth. Another one of the pictures of the church, pilgrims. Paul says, you know, we're in this tent of a body. We're our, our proper home, our city is ahead. Here we're traveling, and the idea of travelers is that you travel light. We don't want to bog ourselves down with so many commitments and responsibilities that we are no earthly good to God. There'll be rewards enough later for those that sow their lives in and invest here in people's lives right now. Not in stock markets, not in shares, not in all of those things. And again, that's, that's a different subject and I'm not saying those things are wrong, but I'm just saying if we've got all of our future pinned on what we've got in our superannuation account, I think we are totally missing the point. It's about making the most of what we have here and now because we don't know that we've got tomorrow. Remember the story of the, the rich man who had a... a, a just an amazing harvest. He says, I know what I'll do. I'll build more barns for myself so I can take it easy and just chill out. And that wasn't the purpose that God had for him. It took him that night. It was to be a blessing. Obviously, this scripture talks about people selling stuff and giving to any as they had need. And that can sound like a license. Or it can sound like Christian communism. It can say, you know, let's just get those that have got a lot and let's just bring them in and tell them, right, tell us everything you've got. We'll tally it all up, we'll sell it all, and then we'll all just hopefully lift our standard of living a little bit on the backs of the rich people. That's not what it's saying. This is talking about a church where, a church under pressure, where people were coming under pressure, people were possibly losing their jobs, people were possibly losing houses, and so the church was there to stand with and for those who had become unpopular in society and were bearing the consequences of that. The Bible talks in other places in the New Testament when you take Scripture and compare it with Scripture. It talks again just having a welfare and a handout mentality. It talks about the need to work. It talks about the need for generosity. It talks about that those who have a lot are to help those that have little. Yes, absolutely. And so there's a whole teaching around that that I don't need to go into because it's been covered to some degree. 
And I want you to do your own homework. But there was, the general spirit was one of giving, not one of receiving. It was not, what can you do for me? But it's more about, what can I do for you? How can I help you? And it's not just talking about financially. My question to you today is, how can I give more? You might say, oh, I just asked for more money. No, no, how can you give more? You might not be able to give any more money. And that's cool. That is totally cool because what you give is between you and God. The Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver, not one who gives under compulsion. But maybe, just maybe, you could give more of your smile to people who are hurting and feeling lonely. Maybe you can extend a hand. Maybe you can invite someone over for a coffee. There's a whole bunch of ways in which we can be more generous. These guys opened their house to one another. It says they, they shared with glad and sincere hearts. Maybe we give more of ourselves. Maybe we don't have to be a closed book. But maybe as we're open and vulnerable ourselves, it will be the key for other people to be open and vulnerable as well. And then they can receive the healing that I've already said comes through the church. As followers of Jesus, we're not here to keep a low profile. We are not here to maintain the status quo. We are not here to conform to the pattern of this world. The pattern of this world is selfishness, it's independent living, and it's pretty apathetic for the most part, unless things really begin to hit home to me. And we are called to stand against that. We are called to rebel, rebel against that. We are to be rebels with the cause, the cause of Christ. Everything that we do, and I think if we are people like this, if we are people that are where our commitment is seen in what we do and how we speak, if our commitment is seen in our generosity, if our commitment is seen, Jesus said, by this will all men know you're my disciples, by the love you have one for another. If our love is genuine, if our love is rich and tangible, people will know that Jesus is real and that we are his disciples. The result was amazing. It says people were added to their number daily. It says there were miracles and signs and wonders taking place regularly. And the general tone was one of awe. And I don't know about you, but I think we have some of that. I want to see more of it. But I think there's a, there's a sense and a, and a level of that already in this place. And I don't want to rest on our laurels, but I want us to, to have more of all that God has for us. I believe we're, we're probably not quite yet there, but I think we're not far away from seeing people added to the church daily. This a number of people... The collective sphere of influence that we have. The good news that is going out of here. And the good news might not be, do you know Jesus, your personal saviour? But it might be, man, you know, we had, a, we had a, kids end up in hospital the other day. It was just awesome. Church brought around meals for a week. That's the good news to people who are lonely and think no one cares and they're cynical about the world and so on and so forth. Does that sound like the sort of church that you want to be a part of? Does that sound like a the sort of response that is worthy of Jesus who gave his very life for us because that's the backdrop to everything. It's like Jesus died on our behalf in order that we come back into a relationship with him. And this, is, this doesn't get us saved, but this is like the least we can do in response to his amazing sacrifice. This is the end of the message. 